Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. You know, this is going to be the second time that I have preached this exact message. I do heard it the first time because it was in my sleep last night. <laughs> I woke up this morning, first thing I did was tell Kathy, Happy New Year! And she said, Almost. I said, What do you mean? She said, It's tomorrow. Today's Sunday. I said, But I just preached the message. <laughs> she, said, she had to remind me a couple times, It's Sunday. We're going to church in a couple hours because I kept forgetting. So, praise the Lord, I have a wife who got me here, otherwise, who knows, you'd be calling my house, are you coming to church? Um, but, this picture up here, every kid wants to be first, right? We all want to be first. Kids are kind of pushy sometimes, they, they really, really want to go first. And I don't know if you can see it, but over on the, the left of your screen, uh, on, on the left side, there's a boy and a girl, and they're like shoving each other. He's trying to hold her back, and she's trying to push him back, and, and they want to get there first. They're, they're pushing it. They're going for it. Do you know some people never outgrow that? Some people live their entire life putting themselves first. All right, so today we're going to focus on putting Jesus in his place. Putting Jesus in his place. All right, it's confession time. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. And, and how do I know that we're struggling with this? Because we're all still here in the flesh on planet Earth. Every part of our culture, every part of our flesh rebels against this. We want Jesus to come and bless our desires. We don't want to have to conform our desires to him. We want him to put his blessing on our plans and hopes and dreams. We don't want to have to yield to obey his hopes and plans and dreams. But we're going to try and put Jesus first. That's the goal for this year. That's the goal for our lives. That's the goal for every day. So let's just, instead of making this a resolution for next year, let's just work on it today. Every day. Okay? Heavenly Father, as we look to your word today, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. You love us. You sent Christ to die for us. We pray that we would do a better job of exalting Christ in our lives, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our musings, and in our emotional responses to people. I pray that we would do a better job of exalting Jesus Christ. And on this day, in this place, we give you praise for who he is, the risen Savior and Redeemer. We give you praise for what he's done, paying the penalty for our sins. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified by the thoughts that we think in this place and the decisions that we take with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at several verses in Colossians chapter 1 and one verse in chapter 2. 
And uh, what we're focusing on is putting Jesus in his place. Now, if you look in chapter 1 and, and look in verse 14, we know we're talking about Jesus in the next verses because it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, some of your translations might have left out uh, through his blood, uh, but we do know Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no redemption, no forgiveness, no remission of sins. Forgiveness comes only through Jesus Christ and through what he did for us on the cross when he paid the penalty for our sins. If you look back in verse number four, he's saying, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about Christ and our faith in Christ. Our faith does not come through church membership. We're going to, this coming month, have another membership class. We're going to have some folks who are interested in joining our church, participate in that. But it's not through church membership. We encourage you to tithe and give offerings to the church through the offering box, through the online giving. Uh, but you don't get saved by giving a lot of money to a church. Some churches teach that because it's a great fundraiser. Wanting to get, want to get into heaven? Give me a thousand bucks, you know? It's not the truth of scripture. And we don't get saved and get into heaven through our good deeds or being kind and generous or, or even through religious activities. We are only saved through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when he talks in verse 4 about faith in Christ, and then in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, in Christ we have that redemption. In verse 10, he adds this thought, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Fully pleasing him, walking worthy of him. Now, We've all heard stories about police officers and they have the uniform and the badge, but they're crooked. And they make money by doing bad stuff. Uh, we've heard stories about accountants who cheat on their books, about truckers who have multiple uh, logs in their truck so they can get away with breaking the rules of transportation. And, and that's why occasionally a trucker driving a, a multi-ton rig will fall asleep at the wheel and kill people because they're not following the rules of the rest that they need to have. And, and you know, there, we've even heard some stories about preachers who do really weird stuff and sinful stuff, and they excuse it away. Everybody struggles with sin. But when you excuse your sin, that's a bigger problem. We have to confess it and turn away from it. And, so our faith is in Christ. It's through his blood. He paid the penalty for our sins. It's through his forgiveness that is earned. I'm sorry, not earned. It's received. By grace you have been saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that we should walk worthy about him. This whole passage is about Jesus Christ and correcting our lives to him. If you, My brother had an old truck. In fact, Phil, Phil Ricosi is the only person in this room who would remember my brother's old truck. I, the only person I know in this town. Like Jim and Clace were there, but they don't remember my brother's truck. But, but Phil did because it had this awesome sound. When you'd fire up that 
old Dodge Power Wagon. It would just boom, 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 boom. And Phil, when he was a little boy, thought that was an awesome truck. And, uh, but if you drove that thing, it would drift to the right. And so you had to constantly be turning the steering wheel a little to the left. And after you'd driven a few miles, you'd actually turn that steering wheel over and over to the left to get it to keep going. I don't know how that worked. I don't think it was safe, but it wasn't mine. It was my brother's. And, and it was just really weird driving with him. He kept turning the steering wheel like we were going to turn left, and that was just to keep going straight. Do you know, in your life, you need to keep making adjustments mm -hmm. to get back on track for following the Lord. It doesn't happen automatically. Now, there was a, a couple, they bought a RV rig and they were on this long straight stretch of road and for some reason, the RV decided they would call it autopilot instead of cruise control. Mm -hmm. And so the guy's asleep and he wakes up and here's his wife walking back up to the front of the truck. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, it's fine. I put it on autopilot. <laughs> she got up and went to the bathroom and then went back up forward, left it on autopilot. Thankfully, they were on a long, straight, flat stretch of road and nobody died. <laughs> Listen, just because it's hard doesn't mean you should give up. We can do hard things. It's a challenge to follow the Lord. It's also the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus in verse 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. Look in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now there's a few words in here in this short verse that sometimes people don't get the idea quite right. The first is image. He is the image. When some people see a little boy and they say, man, he's the image of his dad, you know. And sometimes they'll say he's the smitten image. And that's just kind of gross. I don't know what they mean. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you look at that little boy, oh, man, he looks so much like his dad. And, and so that's not how image is used here in verse 15. Uh, when it says Jesus is the image of God, it means that he is God in visible form. Showing up visibly. He is not invisible. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, are spiritual beings, fully personified, full uh, abilities of any intellectual being, and yet invisible to us on planet Earth. When we get to heaven, will we see some manifestation of God? Will there be a specific color we'll see? I don't know. I'm just hoping to see color. You know? uh, but when we get there with, on earth, with our human eyes on earth, we cannot see God the Father. We cannot see the Holy Spirit. We could not have seen Jesus Christ before Bethlehem, uh, before he was born in human form. He's the image of God. Uh, and so from that moment on, when Jesus was born, Jesus is still fully God, but he's now also fully man. He's the God-man. So look in chapter 2 and verse 9, how Paul described it. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the image of God. He's the image of the Father and the Son. 
He's the visible representation of God. He's not just a copy of God. He is God. He's not just a likeness. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The second word is invisible. In our culture, we sometimes use invisible to mean imaginary or not real. You know, our son Benjamin had some friends he met online. He never actually met them, but they connected, they talked, chatted back and forth a lot. And, and so Benjamin would tell us some things going on with his friends, and Nathan would call, are those your invisible friends, your imaginary friends? Like, They're online friends. They're real people. Uh, and, but see, sometimes things can be very real, and yet we can't see them. Like, if you have a gas line in your house, then you should have a, a CO2 meter. You know, a right, right way, you smoke detector and a CO2 detector, why? Because you can't smell it or see it, and that gas is invisible, but it's very real and very deadly. So God is invisible. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, invisible. The spiritual beings without a physical body, but they're fully real. And they're all powerful. On earth, we cannot see them, but they're very real. So when it says the image of the invisible, back in verse 15, the image of the invisible God, the fact that we can't see God does not make him any less real. He is completely real and in complete authority over all of creation. And the third word is firstborn. In our culture, firstborn usually means the one who was born first. That's usually all it means. But in their culture, firstborn was also a title. It wasn't just the birth order. So if a girl was born first, like, you know, the Pennock family or something like that, then that girl would not be considered the firstborn in that culture. Hunter would have been the firstborn because he was the first man, and Hunter's like, that's how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, they're his head. That's right. He wants to go back to that culture. So, in my family, my older sister was the one born first, but my older brother would then have been the firstborn in that culture. So occasionally, the the son was born second or third, but he was considered firstborn. And sometimes the second son would be considered the firstborn, like Jacob did with Joseph's sons Ephraim and Manasseh. He lifted the secondborn ahead of the firstborn. Uh, so uh, the fact that Jesus has always existed as God the Son, he always has. That's a fact of Scripture, that's a fact of history. When he was born in Bethlehem, he became the firstborn over all creation. But he is not just ruling as the creator. He also earned the title of authority over all creation. Uh, look on the screen in Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
See, every tongue will confess this. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the first one. He, some people get the weird idea that Jesus was not God before he was born in Bethlehem. And they think then he got exalted to the position of Godhood. He was fully God, born into humanity to be the only, one and only God-man. The only one. And so this verse says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Look at verse 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. The voice of Jesus is the voice that cried out in creation. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, that was the voice of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus, God the Son, he wasn't called the Christ until he came to be the Messiah. When he said, let there be a firmament, there was a firmament. Let dry land appear and let the earth bring forth grass and trees and herbs and fruit. Let there be lights in the heavens. Let there be living creatures in the sea. Some of those sea creatures are really creepy. Let there be sea creatures. And some people eat those creepy things. And, and then God said uh, the creeping things, the things that creep around on planet Earth. Most of us don't like those creepy things. But if you ever listen to a Wild Man Phil presentation, he'll tell you the value some of those creepy things have. In fact, when he was here doing it for our Awana program, he, for some reason, always likes to pick on me. And he was holding up a tarantula, and it was this, you know, big, and he's holding it, and it's walking from one hand to the other. And he's, you know, he said it looks scary, and it, it's big and ugly and scary looking. He said, but not everything that's big, ugly, and scary looking is dangerous, like Pastor Green. <laughs> But God brought these things forth. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And each time the voice of God was God the Son. And when you read through scripture, there's passages that talk about the Father involved in creation, the Holy Spirit involved in creation. But the voice of creation was the voice of Jesus Christ. Um, the one who would become the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. His voice. He is... Uh, as it says here, all things were created by him in heaven and on earth, visible, what we can see, invisible, what we cannot see. It was all created by him. There's a number of gases that we can't see. There's color spectrum that we can't see with the human eye. There's sound spectrum that we can't hear with the human ear. All of those things. He has created. And all things were created through him and for him. See, if you came with a tag in the back that said how you were made, it was handcrafted by God for his glory. That's how we're supposed to be used. That's what we're supposed to do. All right, look in verse 17. And he is before all things. He is first of all things. He comes before. He is above all. He is before all things. And in him... All things consist. 
There's a synergy about things in Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament fit together in Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets and the wisdom literature and the gospels all tell us about Christ. The histories in the scripture point us to Christ. In fact, uh, the histories of the Bible and the history of the world all point to Jesus Christ. The pages of scripture and the pages of history direct our attention to this one. The life and ministry of Jesus is the cohesive agent that holds everything together. It holds our lives, our faith, our hopes, our dreams, and our futures all together in Christ. By him, all things consist. All things hold together. And then in verse 18, he presents uh, three big ideas. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he may have the preeminence. So the first idea here is he is the head of the church. He is in charge of the church. Each church and each individual believer answers directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our church is technically considered to be an independent Baptist church. Well, why would we think independence important? Well, if you read through uh, Revelation 2 and 3, Christ writes seven letters to seven churches. How many churches got in trouble? <laughs> five of them had complaints lodged against them. And those five, he said, you take care of your problem or I'm going to come and take care of it. He didn't say we're going to send a pole for a bishop. There was still an apostle alive. John was still alive. He's the one who wrote down the words as Jesus dictated them. And he could have said, you straighten up or I'm going to sick John on you. He said, I'm going to deal with you. Each congregation answered directly to Jesus Christ. And so that's how we operate as a church. He is the head of the church. Not just individual churches, but the church at large worldwide. He is the head over each church and each individual believer. We answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to have uh, a business meeting. And uh, why? The church is, there's a business side of the church. It's secondary to the ministry, but it exists. And that's how we pay our bills and all of that stuff. And so it has to be accounted for, and we do. And so we'll have that meeting. And we're not going to sit in that meeting and all of us sit and wait for Jesus to show up. He's living in heaven, ruling over the whole world. He could show up here if he wanted to, but it's not likely that he would. So we have to make sure that we're doing what he would want us to do, based on the scripture based on the Holy Spirit's leading, we have to submit to him. He is the head of the church. Secondly, he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, was he the first person raised from the dead in all of human history? Not if you read the Bible. There's several people raised from the dead in the Old Testament. But he was the first one who was raised to eternal life. All the others were raised from the dead. They actually then had to die again. Jesus himself raised the widow of Nain's son. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised Lazarus. And all three of those then later on died. 
Uh, there were others raised from the dead during the ministries of the great prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. There were others raised from the dead. And so each one of those was raised back to normal life. But Jesus was raised to eternal life with his glorified body. All the others eventually died again, but Jesus lives forevermore. He is the firstborn from the dead, the first of all raised to eternal life, and the one who makes possible for all others to be raised to eternal life. And then the third is that in every area of your life, in every part of my life, Jesus should have the preeminence. He should have. That includes how you use your time, how you spend your money, how much do you give to the church. You know, the Bible actually teaches that the beginning part is the tithe, and that's 10%, and that's how you start. You can give above and beyond that, but we start there. And there's lots of times when that's taught in the Old Testament, and Jesus in the New Testament and the Gospels said not to ignore those rules, but add to it. And, and uh, so start with the 10%. But in survey after survey of people who give to churches, the average giving rate is between 2 and 5%, depending on the, on the survey done. So does he have preeminence over your giving to the church or giving to... Uh, the worldwide investment in the worldwide ministry of Christ. Uh, how much money do you spend on indulgent things? Like things that have no purpose except to make you happy. You know, like donuts. <laughs> how much do you spend on self-indulgent things? And it, I mean, it's okay to buy things that you like. It's okay to use things that you like, but is Jesus first in your financial planning? It, it, affects, how, it affects how you work on the job. How do you work on the job? Now, nobody has ever had a perfect boss. Nobody has ever been a perfect employee. But on the job, we're supposed to represent Christ. So, how do, you talk about, how do you talk about your boss and coworkers when they're not around? That's a really big thing. And, you know, I remember working with a guy, and he was always running down other people when those people weren't around. And it dawned on me one day, I bet he fusses about me when I'm not there. To those other people, he fusses about me. But how you work on the job. If you're a kid or a teenager, how you do your schoolwork or your homework or your chores. How do you treat your siblings as Christ first? When you, how do you respond to your parents or step-parents as is Christ first? He should be first. When we put Jesus first, then we put him first in every area of life. In all things, verse 18 says. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence in all things. So I want to give you a few ideas to help you put this into practice in your life. When you put Jesus first, you will be personally involved 
in talking to people about Jesus Christ and encouraging them to trust and follow him. As Tim was talking earlier about outreach or evangelism, if you are putting Jesus first, then his ministry, he came to seek and to save the lost. That's his ministry, and we should put that first. Some Christians put political activism ahead of everything else. That's not what Jesus would do. That's not what Jesus did when he was on the earth. That's not what he commissioned his apostles to do. So we should do it his way. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus said, this is what I want your focus to be on. So, if we're going to follow Jesus, our focus should be on talking to other people about him and encouraging them to trust and follow Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15, I put the verse up here on the screen. I want you to notice the part that I put in bold. Uh, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I, I bolded that part, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. See, when we dedicate our heart to him, when we set aside our heart to him, when we put Jesus first, then we're going to be naturally better prepared to be a witness for him. We're going to focus on him more. And Tim was talking about it. It's not easy. Tim's been a deacon here for many years, a faithful Sunday school teacher. It's still not easy for him. Uh, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and, and it's not easy for me. I have to do it on purpose. In fact, Kathy and I, this year, we specifically uh, got some of those cards that we handed out uh, that had the times of our service for Christmas uh, Eve day and New Year's Eve day, and to let people know and invite them to church. And uh, we, each of us, talked to different people and invited them and gave those cards out, and not one of the people we spoke to showed up. But it was still the right conversation to have, to talk with people about Jesus Christ, to encourage them to come and visit a church that teaches about Jesus Christ. So those were good opportunities and good conversations, and then we trust God with the, the fruit. We sow, we water, God gives the increase. We work at it, and then we trust God. Will everybody come that we invite? No. But I guarantee you that very few people we don't invite will come. In fact, a study done by a group that I got some materials from, they said that 80% of people would come to church if they got an invitation from a friend. They'd be willing to come. But they're not invited. In fact, I've had people ask me, would it be okay if I visited your church after I've talked to them in the community? I'm like, yes. You know? It's like they have to have permission to come. No, you don't need permission. Everybody's welcome. So this is something we all need to work on. Maybe we can do 
more in 24 for, for the Lord to do a better job of reaching out. Secondly, when you put Jesus first, you seek to live a holy life. Holy means we're focused, dedicated to the Lord. There's certain things we won't do. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. In 1 John 3, John was writing about how amazing it will be when we see Jesus face to face. And in that passage, in verse 3, he said, Everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself. We, on purpose, try and do the holy thing, the righteous thing, the appropriate thing. Our world is fanatical about sexual content. Um, we, they use sexual innuendos and images to sell potato chips on television. It, it's, and this is nothing new. I mean, lots of cultures have been very sexually promiscuous <laughs> and... And uh, this is not new. It might be new for our televisions, but it's not new for our culture. But believers are not supposed to be that way. Believers are supposed to only be involved in the routines that God set. Uh, I shared this before when there was a national convention in a hotel that was a political convention. And then soon after, there was a national meeting of a group of churches that would consider themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. And in those two conventions, the political convention and then the supposedly spiritual convention, the hotel reported they had more pay-per-view porn movies downloaded when the religious convention was there than when the political convention was there. Well, because no one can see it, so it's not really sin. God sees it. Remember verse 10? Uh, says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. So, when you put Jesus first, you'll seek to live a holy life. We're called to be saints. More than 50 times in the New Testament, believers are called saints. That's who we are. That's how we're supposed to live. The third thing, when you put Jesus first, you'll show his love to others. You will show his love to others. In John 3, 13, said, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, will all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. 1 John 4 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has not seen. How can he love God? I said that backward, okay? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. You're, you're going to show his love to other people. That means you're going to be gracious toward people who are openly sinning against God. We're not going to affirm them in their sin. 
but we're not going to condemn them. We may condemn the sin, but we have to be welcome, inviting them to salvation. I've shared before that when I was a teenager, my life was pretty messed up. My values were messed up. My activities were inappropriate. Um, when I became a chaplain for DPS, I thought, I get to ride in the front seat of a cop car. How cool. I've never done that before. But when I went to church, my parents made me go, and I showed up for church, there were people who told me, you shouldn't be here. You have no business being here. You should go away. You're hindering what God wants to do here because you're here. But there were a couple of girls that reached out to me and showed kindness and grace. And one of them I've been thrilled to be married to for over 40 years. The other one's with the Lord now. And they both said, you're welcome here. This is where you should be. We, we need to invite seekers to find Christ. Do we want seekers to feel fully comfortable with everything we do here? Only if they trusted Christ. They're, they're going to have some resistance. Our goal is not to help unsaved people feel really happy about themselves. Our goal is to point them to a Savior, a Redeemer, who's willing to forgive all their sins. So we show His love. One of the ways we show love is we speak His truth. We don't sugarcoat things. But we also... Don't beat people over the head with our Bibles. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not what we should do. And when you fully put Jesus first, then you're going to spend more time observing and thinking about the people around you and less time thinking about yourself. You need to see the people around you identify with their needs, connect with them. When the disciples saw the woman at Samaria at the well, what did they see? A woman of Samaria at the well. What did Jesus see? A woman who is alone. A woman who is ostracized. A woman in desperate need of salvation. And they responded the way they saw. When Jesus saw the widow of Nain, he didn't just see her grief. He saw her desperation in their culture. Widows had nothing. Nicodemus, when Jesus saw Nicodemus, he didn't just see a confused religious leader who'd missed the point of the law and the prophets. He saw one who needed to hear the truth of God's word. And the disciples saw pesky kids they were trying to shoo away. And Jesus saw children and parents who needed to be brought to him for salvation. He reached out in love to those young kids and to their parents. Right, so here's a challenge for us. It'll be a little harder for those of you watching online. Maybe you can go to your window and look out the window if you're at home or something. But I want you to, I've got a timer up here. And I want you, I'm going to ask you in just a minute to take 12 seconds to look around and see the people around you. Okay? Can you do that? All right, here we go. Go. Just nobody say anything. Nobody make goofy faces. Just look around and see the people around you. All right. That was our 12 seconds. 
What are the needs Jesus would see if you were sitting in this room looking around? What could you do about some of those needs that Jesus would see? All right, we're going to take another 12 seconds for you to pray for someone you saw or someone you thought about. Just pray for their spiritual strength, emotional and physical health, financial needs. 12 seconds. Just pray for somebody that you looked around and saw. When you put Jesus first, you're going to spend more time observing and thinking about the people around you and less time thinking about yourself. Put Jesus first. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the great I Am. He is the one who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. We need to worship Him. We need to love Him. We need to serve Him. As a church, we say that our purpose is that we work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. We need to put Jesus in His place. That's who He is. That's where He is. And in your life, you need to aim your life in the direction to place and keep Him first. Now you may be here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You cannot possibly put Jesus first until you receive Him as your Savior. We'd love to show you how to do that after the service. You can find somebody, ask them. We'd love to share with you. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.